All right, so we've got this week, uh, and then next month for men's meeting, we'll talk about uh, chapter nine. So just in case I forget to send out an assignment or whatever, just go on to the next, go on to the next chapter for next month, um, which is about the uh, the home fellowship meeting itself. So uh, I like how this manual is arranged because when you when you think about leadership. Um, a lot of times you think of responsibilities, you think of um, additional, uh, yeah, just additional areas of responsibility. But those are actually the last thing in this book. The home group meeting itself, actually running a home group meeting, and uh, the responsibilities, meaning like the, the list of things that uh, we really should uh, be accountable to, to do on a regular basis. and. There's good reason for that. Um, everything in this chapter, and I would say the next chapter, really requires uh, somebody that has really embraced and walked through uh, the beginning chapters of this book. Just as a reminder, the, the first chapter is, is all about really the most important part of this manual, which is leadership. It's just a, another step toward knowing God more deeply. And if leadership becomes anything other than another step toward knowing God and um, not just knowing about God but really knowing him being transformed by him uh, being made more like Jesus um, then it, it quickly becomes something other than what God intends for for men uh, to walk in um, I just I, I like reading through Mark uh, and looking at the word authority <clears throat> Jesus came and like fully asserted his authority but all of his authority was uh, was asserted in the service of weak people demon possessed people people who needed healing um, so God is it, God is forming us into men who take authority and take dominion in the way that he himself wields authority and in the way that he himself takes dominion. And Jesus is our example of that. And the Gospel of Mark really uh, makes it crystal clear that once you understand who Jesus is as the Messiah, hey, this is the one in the middle of the book, that key revelation, then you learn how he lives and you learn how he goes about being the Messiah, being the one. Um, and it's very different than uh, I think I'm going to talk about some of this tonight but it's, it's very different than even his own followers even the people that really were sincere very different than their expectations um, and so in leadership particularly what God needs to do with us is first of all show us who he is but then begin to undo a lot of our expectations and a lot of our preconceived notions about how to do this and really turn those inside out. Um, and so that's just important to keep in mind as we continue to go through because we get a little more, more, we get more and more practical as we go. And there's always a danger when you go practical, when you go methodological, that you start to miss the point, that you start to stray from staying in that place where God is, is revealing himself to you, making him more like you, but in that process leading you on the road to the cross with himself. And um, 
so again, as we as we approach this, there's no room whatsoever for um, performance mentality, uh, both in the sense of I'm going to prove to myself and others that I can do this, and also uh, the guilt mentality that I, I need to do this or people are not going to think that I'm a real Christian, right, or a real leader or whatever. It has nothing to do with these doing these things as such, right? When these things are causing you to know God more, you're doing them right. When these things are not causing you to know God and something else is going on inside you, you're doing it wrong. You could be doing it in the exact same way, but if if one is is directed towards something other than knowing God, it's it's off. And so we just need to constantly remind ourselves of that. Um, does that make sense? Yep. There's two ways that we take lists and, and identify with the lists rather than continue to pursue God. Um, one is in pride, and the other one is in fear. And God is not guilting anyone to, you know, the, the cross, we say this all the time, the cross is, is an elected path. <laughs> it's, you choose the cross. You're presented with the cross and something else and you pick up your cross. The cross is not guilted upon you. Well, <laughs> you better take up your cross or you're just not going to be a real, and no one's going to think that you're legitimate or genuine. It's not why we take up our cross. <clears throat> so really, that's the, that's the key point in, in every chapter. <laughs> Do this to know God. Understand this as a means of knowing God. Um, all right, so this just gives four primary areas, and um, let me say this, that the home groups are, the way our church has organized um, really the, the, the care in the body. Um, some churches have a pastoral team, some churches have a care team. Some churches have a, a ministry, a service, a deacons team. And what the deacons do is, you know, if anyone has a practical need, you call it the deacons. If anyone has a kind of a health crisis, you call the pastoral care team. And, you know, all this, all these different areas of ministry. For us, we believe that all of that should be happening within home groups. That um, pastoral care, the practical service, anything else that the church, the, the teaching, the training... Um, it all um, it all intersects with each individual life through home groups primarily um, and so the teaching ministry of the church like my sermons you know I, I I expect that in the home groups is where the real processing is happening or if there's you know um, each home group leader is oh, we'll talk about this in a second but each home group leader is making sure that people are where they need to be in terms of relating to the teaching that's going on in the church. So home groups are an extension of uh, the pastoral ministry of the church. They're one of the ways that I make sure everybody's taken care of. My response, you know, it falls to me to really tend to the needs of our flock. And one of the key ways that I do that, and we saw this in the last chapter where Moses' father-in-law comes to him and the best thing I can do is raise up leaders to help me do that. Or else all of the 
all of the needs are going to start falling through the cracks and real care isn't going to happen. Um, so we, we, our whole strategy of church planting is to keep it to where one pastor with a team of leaders can really care for all the needs of the church um, for the most part. Uh, all right, so the elders have called and appointed uh, leadership, home group leaders, assistant home group leaders, to be an extension of the pastoral heart of the church. In a sense, they become an extension of the pastor's ministry of feeding and overseeing the sheep. It is important that they are familiar with the pastor's heart and caring for the sheep and reflect that heart in all they do in the home fellowship. And that's important because um, home groups can, can easily take on, and this, this happens naturally and, and, and it's unavoidable to some extent, home groups can take on their own personality. And they always do um, based on the personalities in the group. But if that ever begins to um, grow beyond just unique personality and it starts to become a direction or a vision or an attitude toward life, say one group really gets into um, faith healing and they, they start you know, seeing, uh, they start going out on the street and trying to get people's legs to become a certain length and, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. Someone really gets turned on in the group and then the whole group gets about it. That group has stopped being... Unless that was, unless we were all doing that together as a church, but that group has stopped being an extension of the central vision of the church and has started to take on its own mission. Uh, or one group could get really into theology and philosophy, and they become the scholar group, and it starts to go astray from the central heart of the church and the vision of the church. Um, so leaders should see themselves as an ambassador for what we together have decided, uh, the, the mission that we together have decided to give ourselves to, um, that, we, that we've been called to, if that makes sense. Um, it's not up to you to determine, really, the direction of your home group in a broad sense. It's up to you to determine how can we as a home group really walk in the vision of the church. Um, that makes sense. And we're small, you know, we're, we're a relatively small church, but as we continue to grow and more personalities get added into home groups, um, and because one of the good things about a home group is that we can be flexible, we can be what we need to be for a season for, for the purpose of whoever God's bringing in. If, we, if someone comes in and they're really hungry for theology and philosophy, we can become that to help nourish them, right? That's one of the, the advantages of... of the flexibility of a home group but if we start to, if that becomes our identity then we've lost our, our connection to the rest of the body yeah do you understand that principle it's it's briefly mentioned here but I think it's important um, especially I, you know I think these things are on my mind a lot we our home group has, has just split this week and um, I'm really gonna be leading two groups for a little while until they each grow to the point where we can, you know, they can stand on their own. Um, but my goal is not to create two different um, kinds of groups, and, and it'll be interesting being in two groups. I'll be able to see the differences in personality, but also see how they're both connected to the central vision of the church. I can tell you right off the bat, 
you know, one group's going to be, um, the two groups are, are starting in very different places in the life cycle of a home group. And so it'll be interesting to kind of navigate through that. Um, okay, so the four primary areas of responsibility uh, for home group leaders and assistants and anyone maturing into leadership. Um, remember, that's one of the key steps of a home group. Number one, everybody remember the vision of the home group, the five, the five part? What's number one, Jackson? Um, having a fruitful relationship with God. Yeah, every, every member having a, a, a walk with God. That's vital, it's connected to the word, prayer, those things. What's the second thing? We would know God together. Yeah, we, we do it together, and, and primarily that takes place within the, our relationships, that we love one another. Basically, love God, love one another. What's the third one? The third part, point of the vision. We would share the good news with the lost. Yeah, evangelism, extending the kingdom, inviting people into our lives together. Yeah. And then the fourth one is the one that... Growing leadership. Yeah, so bring people in and help them mature to the place where they are now part of the leadership team and then we plant home groups based on the availability of mature leaders not necessarily the raw numbers although I did sort of a hybrid with this last one but I'm I'm, lead, I'm, I'm technically leading both so we haven't released any home group leaders at this point it's a unique situation We've got some people that have come in that have been thoroughly discipled um, in previous bodies, but just need to kind of learn our own our own vision. Um, all right, so four primary areas of, of, of caring: loving the sheep, giving oversight, feeding the flock, and responding to needs. Um, yeah, so the first thing is is really every leader doesn't need to have the spiritual gift of pastoring, but needs to understand a shepherd's heart. Every leader does in some way, as they care for the people in their group, needs to understand something of what what a pastor's heart is for, for his flock. Um, and that's something that in Scripture... There is a gift of pastor slash teacher, um, but pastor is also a verb, and it's what the elders of the church, is what in First Peter, he says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, okay? Um, so it's something that people, and remember, an elder is not a spiritual gift, an elder is a place of maturity of character. You remember that? So someone who has matured into character of elder overseer can, they're, they're exhorted to, to exercise that leadership in a way that shepherds the flock of God. And so all of us, as we mature into leadership, we begin to take on the mindset of a, of, of a shepherd. Um, and I, I, you know, when I was praying through what it meant to be a, a pastor, you know, I, I found out and this isn't this isn't groundbreaking information but I it became clear to me that the primary jobs of, of a pastor are to lead to feed and protect you know when you look through 
the pastoral, you know, in the Old Testament, the, the shepherding role of a, of a shepherd. What he do, how he, he leads them where they need to go. Often he is leading them, this is Psalm 23, lead, lead them beside still waters, lead them to green pastures, lead them to where they can graze and find the food they need. Uh, but also you see that very protective, uh, as a shepherd is looking over the flock, he can see potential threats, he can see potential stragglers, right? We, we, the parable of the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one. He's aware of who's missing. He's aware of um, what potential influences, what potential uh, threats there are to, to the flock. He's aware of how uh, he's aware of how wolves' strategy works or predators' strategy. Right? He knows that they'll look for the weak ones. He knows that they'll uh, come in not in open, broad daylight very often, but but secretly. Right? So shepherds are aware of the way that the flock uh, can, can find itself in danger. And so each home group leader really really should carry that kind of heart. Um, this emphasizes that, that really in loving and caring for the flock, um, the idea of initiative is key. You can't just say, all right, now I have a home group and it's up to everyone to get around me if they want to be around me. Um, that's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd really does a lot of <laughs> chasing down the sheep and, oh, let's come on, let's, let's, let's gather. And sometimes it gets, uh, it can get frustrating and, you know, there's lots of different directions that, um, that crop up. A true servant cannot expect the sheep to attend his organization. He cannot wait for people to come to him. He must go to them. So this talks about, you know, you decide to defer, to befriend people under your care and, and you follow through with that decision. Um, this is where some of that chapter one stuff really comes in. People come in your life and you decide, all right, my life revolves around these people now. And it, that doesn't mean that you stop doing everything else, um, unless that's called for. But it means that, yeah, this this relationship is now a center of gravity in our life and um, we don't we don't really do anything without considering how can we care for the how can we be around these people how can we be here for these uh, people that God has called us to love um, I'll say this right now if if you are getting into leading a home group your home group will only be as committed and initiative-taking as you are for a long time before they notice. <laughs> Does that make sense? Um, it takes a long time to to get a group of people that's learning, that's new to the faith and learning how to follow God. It, gets them, it takes a long time for them to learn how to lay their life down toward a common vision. That's such a hard lesson to teach people. I mean, you can, you can tell them that, hey, you need to lay your life down for the people that God has given you to. Okay, but then to actually get into the daily choice of again allowing allowing the community and the people that God has placed in your life to be the center of gravity in everything you do that takes a long time that's a transformation that has to happen by the Holy Spirit it's not something we can just train people in and, and expect them to do it 
So initiating relationship, um, expect no repayment. We talked about this last month. You know, willingly, not under compulsion, and uh, generously, and not for filthy lucre, is the King James word. No kickback. And I, I think that this is, you know, obviously, you're not looking for material gain from anybody. But I think also emotional gain, relational gain. Don't look for fulfillment in the people that God's called from the people that God's called you to lay your life down for. Very often it will come, and it's rich and rewarding. But you can't base your treatment of anyone based on what they give back to you in any form, material, emotional, and in any other way. Does that make sense? There can never be any room for, well, I'm just waiting for them to show that they love me and, and I'll really love them. It doesn't work like that. Um, it says, the leader should not keep an account of how much he does for the person. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. I also think that love keeps no record of rights. Love keeps no record of, I've done all these things. Look at everything that I've done. It's just piling up and what have you done? Right, that's another way that I think within marriage that can become a, an issue. I, I'm doing all these things. Well, great. You're meeting God in there and you're learning how to lay your life down. <laughs> why, do, why does your obedience to God mean that they should repay you for all of that? You know? uh, but that, that always comes up. Look at everything I'm doing. That's not real love. Jesus never, um, Jesus never said, well... All right, that's that's it. I'm done. I've done all I can do. He just kept loving and kept loving. It says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to fulfillment, to completion. And that's that's the next point. Jesus is faithful. He told his disciples that he would be with them to the end of the world. Um. People are going to leave, but we, we can never be the reason. I mean, we, I mean, we're going to become separated from people, but it should never be because we've left them. People will come and go um, for whatever reason, good reasons, bad reasons. Uh, but like Paul says in Romans, in so much as it depends on us, whatever depends on you, we are responsible to do everything in our power um, to love and to lay down our lives for someone. And you just have to know ahead of it. You, you have to know ahead of time. And the more you go ahead of time, the more successful you'll be in leading. Um, that it will. People will not like the presence of a leader in their life. It's not, it's not in our nature to appreciate the presence of a directive person in our life. Someone who's calling us to a very clear vision. Our flesh is allergic to that. We don't want to get on board. And so if you expect that as a leader, you're already ahead. <laughs> All right, we're going to set this clear direction. And it's, it's fine to be optimistic about, all right, yeah, this is good, we're going. 
but it's somewhere in the back of your head should be and a few people are really going to chafe against this that's fine god loves them i love them and i'm not going to get mad when that happens i'm not going to feel threatened when that happens i'm not going to get insecure i'm not going to well what do i do they don't want to they don't want to do what we're doing i don't think they're really i don't think they really love god they're just immature right and we can't get bent out of shape we need to expect that my presence in their life is going to cause some kind of emotional thing to happen that I should just be aware that, all right, yep, that's happening. They're working it out. And I'm here for them. And not get bent out of shape. They just don't want to do it. They don't, I don't know how to, I don't know, what, what do you think is going on? I, I don't even think they know Jesus. No, what's happening is the same thing that happens to all of us, which is when we... <laughs> When the claims of the gospel become very real in our life and we're presented with the cross, we, we kind of wrestle a little bit. Jesus had, had, had it out, right? Before he, before he took his final journey to the cross, he really had it out. I mean, it, the choice was presented to him and he went, Ugh. I don't know, is, is there any other way? All right, so something in everyone will say, is there any other way? If we're leading the way we should, that should become commonplace. We are leading people toward laying down their lives. We're, exe we're exemplifying that, but we are leading people toward something that really does cost them. And that's obviously going to create a reaction inside of people. And so... Um, the way that this says it, it says sheep will not even realize when they are being served. They will often stray. They will not understand. They will run off and do things when they are needed. They will miss meetings, and they will eventually grow up. And we should stay consistent. That's what this whole thing is about. Be faithful. Stay the course. Be strong and courageous, God told Joshua. If we as leaders <coughs> see... I mean... What Joshua needed to do was to be strong and courageous because he knew the kind of people he was dealing with. Right? He had been with Moses. He saw Moses over and over was like, what, are the, what is up with these people? <laughs> he would go before God. What's going on, God? It's like, welcome to leadership. Welcome to my world, Moses. Are you going to be faithful? And uh, he lost his cool. Because the people were doing their own, their immature thing. He struck the rock twice. He let his emotions get the best of him. And it cost him uh, an inheritance in the promised land. Okay? And so, God makes clear to Joshua, be strong and courageous. You're going to lead, you're going to set a direction. And the people are not going to want to do it. And the worst thing to do then is to get all bent out of shape about that. You stay the course, and you, you keep calling them to the same thing. You know me. You know the word. You lead these people, and don't be afraid. So, the leader's job is not whipping the sheep in shape. His job is to walk with them as they grow in relationship and love to the Lord. Just, just faithfulness, all right?
Does that make sense, that principle? Don't, don't determine your course of action based on someone's response in the moment to a clear direction. Well, they don't seem to be wanting to do this. So we should try something else. No, don't try something else. Love them, stay faithful, and don't. Because otherwise, it, it just it brings everything off course. We know where we're headed. We're inviting people to go with us. At a certain point in that journey, they'll, they'll freak out. And the worst thing to do is then to reset the course to try and help them not freak out. If we really want them to grow and know God, we'll stay the course, be gracious, be understanding, and continue to walk with them and invite them to walk with us. This is how Jesus did with his disciples, right? I mean, there, <laughs> there are several moments where there's just some real head scratchers, like, oh my goodness, you guys still don't understand. Uh, there's several of them in Mark. Wow. He even calls him Satan, or he calls Peter Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You have no idea what's going on here, do you? But there they are walking with him. And the next thing that happens is he brings him up with him on the mountain. And he gets to see Moses and Elijah. You know. So yes, the disciples freaked out. They didn't understand. But Jesus just stayed right on his course and did not get dragged all, all over by his disciples' immaturity. Jesus allowed his disciples to grow in relationship with him. Yeah, it began with initiative, drawing them to himself, and then he begins to bring them more and more closely into the inner workings of what he was doing. Again, Mark is a perfect example of this. Guys, come with me. Now look at all these things that are going on. Look at all these mighty works. But actually, that's not the main point. The main point is that I'm here to go and suffer and die. Right? And then they, they get to understand more and more and more of that as they get closer to the cross. Jesus brought them closer and closer into the inner vision of what uh, his life was about. All right, so that's all under the heading of loving the sheep. It really is. It's a... I mean, it's, I don't. I sometimes get uncomfortable calling the church sheep. <laughs> it's a little demeaning. It's the, it's the metaphor. And you're the pastor. Right. <laughs> and that gets that gets real cultish real quick. Um, it's the biblical metaphor, so we, we got to roll with it. I'm a sheep, and Jesus is my shepherd. Uh, okay, giving oversight. Um, gives the parable of the uh, if the man has a hundred sheep one of them goes astray does he not leave the 99 and goes to the one uh, that's true oversight um, oversight is is vigilance we talked a lot of it about this last month you remember uh, talking about what over oversight means um, keeping up with the sheep in order to care for them um, and so there's, there's a real practical list in here 
of methods, but the basic idea is you really do need to be aware of every single person in the group, what's going on, what the what their life is like, you know, the ups and downs that they have on the job, their the basic state of their marriage at this given time, you know, where they are with their kids and child training, where each where each child is basically and they're and they're maturing. Um, this gives some methods of keeping in touch. I think that it has changed drastically since this manual was written with texting and all the different ways that we connect. I'd say we're more connected than ever, than ever, which is a good thing. You know, our probably everybody's home group is like this, but we pretty much have kind of a continuous home group text thread that either every day or every other day somebody's sharing something with the rest of the group. So there's connection there, um, but we need to make sure that we don't we don't excuse that, or we don't we don't say that that uh, we don't use that as an excuse for our you know just coasting and not taking initiative to, to make sure we know what's going on in every person's life. The best way to do this, by far, is to is this. Remember every person in your group in prayer every day. I don't mean spend, you might want to, spend 20 minutes per person deeply seeking God for prophetic insight into their life. There's time and a place for that. But what I'm saying, this takes five minutes or less. Paul says to his churches, I mean, do you know how many people Paul ministered to? And every time, almost every time he wrote to someone, he says, I remember you in my prayers. All right? And Paul was a busy guy. And he found time to remember all these people, and then he would give them all shout-outs at the end of his letters, to remember them in his prayer. I don't think what was happening was he was spending 20 minutes per person. He was simply, what was he doing? Remembering. Just put that person in your head once a day. Right? This little step really goes a long way. If you are going through and just naming every person in your group. You're giving God an opportunity to say, hey, that person. Remember what they said at home group? You need to check up on them today. All right, we couldn't possibly we couldn't possibly plan out and put on our calendar all the ways that we need to stay connected with our home group. But we can give God an opportunity to direct our path every day by remembering each person in prayer. And I literally mean just name name them in your head. This is what I do. And it, it serves me greatly because a lot of times, name, and then I move on. But there's usually two or three or four names on there that kind of go red flag a little bit. I go, alright, I need to figure out how to get around them. I need to send them a note or, or whatever. Does that make sense? Staying connected. It's, it's much more a, an issue of not quantity and, and measured, um, you know, measured attempts to, to reach out. You know, we don't, have, we don't keep a, like a CRM, like salespeople, and log all of our interactions with each client, you know. Um, we remember, we bring people up in our minds and allow God the opportunity to direct our hearts toward them and direct us toward a particular action.
that's one way I go, you know, there's lots of, you could talk to each leader who's been doing this a while and they'd give you a different kind of list that works for them. What works for me is bringing people up in my mind every day. And, you know, if it's been two or three days since I've done that, I start to feel very disconnected. Even though I'm not like constantly interacting with everyone, they're just in my mind. And, uh, and God can use that. So this list says, like, make sure members of the home fellowship are notified of all meetings. Um, check on members when they miss meetings. So, like, the day after your home group, even if you're, like, not consciously checking this off on your list, if you mention each person in your mind, well, that person that missed home group last night, when they hit your mind, you're going to go, hey, they weren't there last night. All right. Connect with the follow-up team and monitor, monitor this ministry. That's, you know, you as a home group leader aren't doing all of the follow-up in the group, but you should have an idea of, hey, what kind of relationships is each person, you know, who's following up with this family? Who's following up with this person? Um, and how's that going? Maybe I need to check in on that. Uh, keep in touch. Home fellowship leaders should make a phone chain. I would say a text thread. Suffice, suffice for that very well. I, I think a phone chain would like. I think it would confuse people. Wait a minute, what? What's happening here? The literal game of telephone. By the time it got to the end, <laughs> how do you make a call? How do you make a call? How do I talk on the phone? Uh, have each family or single over for an evening every three months. You know, this is this is stuff that I think at our size happens probably pretty naturally in within home groups you know unless it's my home group which is huge and I, it's hard all right so that's oversight my favorite way of oversight is remembering in prayer just remembering each person in prayer that's where i just look out over you know it, it really is like looking out over the flock and the things that trigger you you're gonna you're gonna notice but if you never just look out over the flock those things are never going to be triggered you know if you're just sitting there under your fig tree asleep then you don't know what your sheep are doing but if you just give a quick glance everything could be fine you know but you have to give that glance you have to give yourself and god an opportunity to respond uh feeding the flock uh, feeding occurs on several levels. Um, you know, this is Bible studies. Um, when we talk about feeding, I would say the, the stuff, the fuel of discipleship, which is the word, prayer, and fellowship. Um, fellowship in, in uh, home group, you know, in, in relationship, but also fellowship in the Saturday meeting. Communion is, is important. You know, we need to be feeding. That's literally feeding <laughs> together, uh, partaking of Christ together. There's a real grace that happens in communion um, that doesn't happen anywhere else. And so we need to give ourselves to that and bring people into that. Um, home fellowship leaders are not necessarily responsible to do to have a teaching topic and to take people through that topic in home group. Um, there, again, there could be a season for that. 
and that could be great, or you could be going through a book or whatever. But most often what you're going to be doing is reinforcing uh, my teachings from Saturday night, or whoever is, happens to be teaching uh, in the central meeting. Okay, um, and that's because <clears throat> what I'm trying to do with those teachings isn't just throw out information. What I'm trying to do in those teachings is feed the flock. And very often, you probably noticed I don't. I'm not going. I'm not giving the best exposition possible. I'm giving what we as a body, what I've discerned, we need to hear in the way we need to hear. And so, what we go over on Saturday nights, you know, I've prayed about a lot as I've looked down through the list of our church. Right, that's one way I prepare. Is I go down through the list and I say. Not how do you teach Romans, but what do we, how can we feed on Romans together? Um, so, weekly teachings, uh, also foundations classes. You know, as you as you begin to bring pe new people in and disciple them, uh, you need to connect them to foundations classes, and and I think we do a pretty good job of getting word out when those are going on. I'm not sure exactly when those will start back up, but. Um, we probably have some people that need to go through a few classes. Anyway, uh, foundations classes, um, just general encouragement and sharing and, and edifying, um, not just through Bible study, but also just words and um, encouragements from person to person. Um, making sure everybody in your home group is has those kinds of relationships in their life where people are pouring into them and are encouraging them. Uh, home fellowship meeting, um, pray for members, that feeds them. right? If you pray for God's blessing on someone's life, that is a very real thing. God listens to our prayers and he does things in people's lives. Um, and this is another area of oversight um, it's about feeding the flock. It's under feeding the flock, but I think it, it relates to oversight as well. Um, you should be aware of the of the kind of influences and voices that people in your home group really draw from. Some people, you know, they'll they'll basically just stick with hey the teachings in our church and and our Bible studies and that kind of thing. Um, other people are real searchers and they get out there and, and that's great. You know, people learn in different ways. Um, but if someone, for example, if someone is just really loves John Piper, John Piper's great, but he comes from a very different theological system that we that we typically than we typically preach here, and so it could easily become confusing for someone, especially when it gets into the areas of life. Like, all right, my mom is dying of cancer. Um, if you steep yourself in John Piper or a very reformed perspective, you're going to come up with some very different ways of, of handling that time of life than you are with another, you know, another theological perspective. So the point here is not that, we, not that we become censors or gatekeepers for people, but that we become aware and where there is potential danger. Not that John Piper would be a potential danger, uh, but any inordinate level of influence elsewhere is a potential danger, whether it's good or bad. Right? There's obviously the bad stuff, like if someone's reading 
the satanic scriptures. Like, we want to come and protect them from that. But also, if someone is getting steeped in a particular brand of Christianity that isn't necessarily what we've been called to be, if someone gets really into social justice or someone gets really into patriot right-wing prepping or, or, you know, anything on that spectrum, we need to be careful and, and protect. You protect that person. You don't censor things. But also, if a person becomes someone that we need to kind of protect the rest of the flock from, if someone who has influence in the body and is really kind of evangelizing for uh, a particular thing, we need to be aware of that and say, hey, this person is really driving the culture of our community. This person is really getting into this or that, and they're bringing that into our life together, and it's really causing the social energy and the thought, uh, thought patterns of our group to shift in that direction. I, we as home group leaders need to be aware of that. And um, that's where, you, you know, that's where you can involve me as well. You know, if something's going on that, you know, everybody's getting into, everybody's Joyce getting way Meyer. into, what's that? Joyce Meyer. Everybody's getting way into Joyce Meyer. And I don't know why, but we're just we're constantly feeding on like Joyce, Joyce Meyer. <laughs> and JP's been spearheaded. I don't understand. <laughs> Over there. Joyce Meyer or Bethel or John Piper or uh, there's good stuff in all of that but there's also stuff you know we're not Bethel for a reason we're not Joyce Meyer for a reason you know, we have we have values and we have a vision that we're, we're walking in and we have a, a context that we are ministering in so that happens a lot you know in Timothy it's, it's winds of doctrine you know we, we are to grow up in every way so that we're no longer tossed to and fro by the waves. We need to be aware of winds of doctrine that start sweeping through. You know, Jordan Peterson or uh, Joe Rogan or whatever you want. Whatever podcast people are, are steeping in, that can become something that, you know, it, and not dangerous in itself, but it can become something that begins to have influence and, and disrupt the, the unity of the body. So leaders need to be aware of that. They need to be on the lookout, again, not as censors, but as shepherds for, for the flock. Uh, and then need, responding to need. Um, this is one of the key lessons that I think it's, it, it's interesting to see young disciples grow in. Um, we don't have a homeless ministry. And if you want to care for a homeless, then go care for the homeless. <laughs> if, if you want to go buy them a, a place to stay, that's, that's great. Um, very often, the ministries in this body um, are just the people. The ministry that this body does are the people in the body. You are the ministry. Um, Jesus <laughs> took the bread, or no, he, before he took the bread, uh, there were flocks in front of him, flocks of people, and they were all hungry. And he said, hey, you guys give them something to eat. You are the solution to this hunger. And they obviously were, were woefully ill-prepared for that. Uh, but then he miraculously provided but the point was, and then after he did that, he gave it to them to give to the, to the people. And 
so in our home groups, that re that's really what we need to cultivate. That if there's a crisis going on, we're not prepared for it, but we're the people here. And we need to bring our five loaves and two fish to, to God and say multiply these and then go and help meet those needs. All right. So practical stuff. Serious illness, hospitalization, uh, death, loss of employment, marital upheaval. A lot of times these are things that we go, oh, okay, well, that's outside my pay grade. But it's not. Right? Um, no, you're not an expert on marital counseling. You're not an expert on grief counseling. But you have been given to that person to love them. And you need to surrender yourself and ask God how in the world this is a place where we know God. And to always offload extreme cases to qualified individuals means that people are being deprived of opportunities to come to the end of themselves and allow God to move through them in a way that they never thought was possible. Now, we need to be wise, right? Just like we don't counsel people who are seriously ill to just pray for healing and neglect medical input. Right? We don't want to deprive someone of something they need. If we, if we really are outside our pay grade, we need to bring other people in, get the pastors involved, get elders involved. But we think first, how can I meet, how can I meet this need? How can I meet this need? And so as home group leaders, we need to help people grow in someone's really having a rough time. How can you help them through it? What, do you, what can God do in your life that can help them grow? So this, everything from real practical needs, childcare, uh, transportation, food, you know, we've got our meal trains, we've got our, um, people are constantly carting other people's kids around. That's all great, you know. Um, house, you know, house maintenance. It doesn't mean that every single house project needs to be an opportunity for the home group to lay down their life. You know, if you need to paint your room, just go paint your room. You know, it doesn't have to. <laughs> or sometimes if you can, you know, if you've got someone you're going to pay to paint your house, just go ahead and do it. You know, we're not, you don't get crazy. Um, some people, when they come in to our community, they're like, oh, wow, everybody does everything for each other. That's not necessarily the case. Um, and so don't don't necessarily, like, assume that, Every time I need a babysitter, well, I can just put the word out and people are gonna, you know, people are gonna respond. We want to be available to each other, but we also want to help people grow uh, out of that, out of dependence on the body. Um, so illness, figuring out what's helpful. Some people they want visitors. Some people they don't want visitors. Just leave the food on the porch. You know, help figure, help determine that. Um, try and figure that out. Uh, cards and flowers, etc. If there's anything that's serious that's happening, you know, bring me in pretty quick. Um, in, in a home group setting, you know, if there's a, a real serious illness, I need to know pretty quick. Um, don't say, oh, I don't, I don't want to bother Ben with that. Now, I need to be aware of basically anything serious that's happening. Now I may just say, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll be praying for you guys. Let me know if you need anything. 
but we may need to mobilize other resources. Um, there are resources to help meet needs in the body. Um, and that the leadership is in charge of stewarding those resources. All right. So we don't want to waste it, but we want to use it where we need to use it, if that makes sense. There are people that can really help in deep financial need, but everyone who kind of gets in the red a little bit for a couple months isn't necessarily entitled to that kind of, it depends on why they're in the red for a couple months, right? If they're still drinking Starbucks every day, well, there's something different. They don't need financial help from the church. They need maturity from the people that are walking. They need a help growing in maturity and stewardship. Does that make sense? So this is a really tricky area of the church. And one of the ways I think that we can really grow in the likeness of Jesus. Needs will pop up within a home group. And then you, there's not, there's not a rubric for, all right, if it's this, then this. If it's this, then this. Every time that happens, you as a, you as a home group leader, you're going to have to <clears throat> walk with the people that you're walking with, maybe bring in the other leaders in the team, say, how do I, what's the best way to meet this need? Right. And very often it's a it's a very fine line between showing grace and self-sacrifice and helping people grow. Um, and that's that's where we need wisdom. That's where wisdom really comes in. And there's a lot of wisdom in just shared experience. So as we walk through meeting needs like this, we will grow as a team in understanding how to how to do it better and better. Um, the final thing the final responsibility of leadership is reproducing leadership you should end up with someone that you're a peer with um, and that's really what helps it from becoming just personality driven little pockets of cultish personality cults uh, nobody's trying to build their brand no one's trying to build their following we're all trying to uh, make disciples together and end up with people that are alongside us, peers, that we are mutually submitted to. Um, so there's no, we're not like, this is not a multi-level marketing thing. Sometimes discipleship books look like a multi-level marketing plan. Like, all right, if you make <coughs> 10 disciples and then make 10 disciples, we'll make 100 disciples. Well, <laughs> I always chafe a little bit against that. No, if you make 10 disciples, then you know, come and see me when you're dying with those 10 disciples, and I'll tell you if you've been a faithful man of God or not. We're not trying to churn people through the system. We really are giving our lives over to people and hopefully being faithful to them to the end. Ultimately, what God wants to do with us is give us to one another and uh, to give us together away to the world. All right, so that's all kind of very general, um, sort of off the top of my head. What what questions or, or comments are there? <clears throat> this introduces a lot of topics. Actually, learning this stuff is is a long, long process. 
of walking through different situations. I could give all kinds of examples, but then that would only help partially because every situation is different. Every person is different. Every disciple is different. Every situation of need is different. Um, and the best you can do is just try and learn together and then meet each new challenge in a humble and, and hopefully wise way. things that really stood out to me most, and I, I mean reading this, but really just in sort of really walking with you in the last three years, and I don't think I really had a really strong grasp on it prior to being here, even though I might have had some good discipleship with some areas, is really getting an understanding, uh, it's the portion where it talks about, you know, it's important to be familiar with the pastor's heart and caring for sheep when they reflect the heart and all they do in the home fellowship, that you know, different churches may legitimately be called to different things. Yeah. Right? And you, you mentioned that, you know, if you're going in a direction, this was in regards to how you maybe share a, something somebody, if mm. they don't respond well, you don't turn course, but like to really come alongside of or go in a direction, you have to know sort of what a destination is. Yeah. Know? Especially in leadership roles. One thing if people just yeah. walk in and do, you know, single file. Um, but I think that's probably the thing more than anything else that's really powerfully resonated with me is really trying to surrender my own ideas or theologies or whatever they may be. Mm -hmm. And I really ask myself, am I unified in the vision of this body? Even if there may be a little difference here with me and Ben or a little difference here with yeah. me and Tyler or me and Joseph or whoever, right? Yeah. But the, and then if I can get my mind on that vision, can I really lay down my life for that? It's something I can really believe in. Yeah. And if you can't, you know, I can remember the times where you talked about maybe someone comes in a home group for a while and you love on them and you realize, like, man, you really probably belong over here. Yeah. And you might even shepherd them yeah. over in that direction. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's yeah. like all of this, every single bit of this teaching today hinges on really whether or not you can get that vision. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's the uniqueness of the way we do home groups. And it's the way we've always done it. But, you know, there was a point at which kind of American evangelicalism became small group focused. And then everybody was an expert on groups. And then every church does it the same. But we've never done groups just to, as, a, as a strategy, you know, in response to survey we, we really do you know how how what's the best way to care for people in a local body you know and, and really our methods come out of trying to understand the heart of God and so groups are not a place for, for leaders to express themselves and to kind of form something in their image you know we want to we want to help serve the body um, and that's another thing just as you, as you start to grow in leadership 
there should be a growing awareness that I don't, I'm not just speaking for myself. I, I can't just be really opinionated in some area because I'm then making our whole team. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm an ambassador for our whole leadership team. And if I go and do this thing, then someone sees a leader in this body doing that thing, and they're going to go, oh, okay, well, that's what we do. Um, so, yeah, well, some of it does. Like, my personality needs to, like John the Baptist, I need to decrease. My influence needs to decrease. My, my, the way I do things needs to decrease so that what we are all doing, what Jesus is doing through us, can increase. Um, that's a key thing. Um, it's not a it's not a common interest group. We're not we're not a we're not the worship home group. We're not the C. S. Lewis home group. We're not the cornhole home group. You know. Vermont. <laughs> yeah. We've got to be the the home group that is is living the vision, walking it, and helping build the church. Basically, we, we call home groups to grow in the same way that we call individuals to grow. As an individual, you come, you're needy, and you've got a lot of uniqueness, and then you begin to lay down your life and be transformed to be a and you end up all about his agenda. That's what a home group needs to be, you know, to, to be constantly seeking to, for us as a group to be formed more into the image of what Jesus wants our community to be and be modeling that in this little group of people more and more and more. That's what we want to be as a, as a church as well. Any thoughts, Stephen? You've been in this uh, role since we started. Actually, I think we planted you right when we planted the church, right? Your home yeah. group started right when we started. What have you learned over the past three years? What have been some big, uh, big milestones for you? Well, I'm just thinking through the portion on loving, uh, loving the sheep, and how there's been times where that is. I mean, there's just a lot of great guys in my home group, and that's been, like, very easy. Um, yeah. And, uh, and it seems like I'm just very smoothly. And then um, a lot of those points touched on there, um, specifically the expecting repayment and the being faithful, like, really gets challenged when just, like, one person gets added or starts coming around, and all of a sudden starts to kind of break down, like, the, the really easy aspect of loving each yeah. other. Um, and that's when I have like a crisis of like I don't even know if I'm like a home group leader or like what's going on <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's falling apart at the seams um, I want to I don't know so 
I don't know what the point is behind that, but I, um, I really feel like, in a lot of ways, it's not like I lead a home group in, in these aspects, but there are like a lot of strong guys in the group that, that kind of um, share that with me, and uh, yeah, probably better at it than me in, <laughs> yeah. in aspects. Um, and so I, I've just been listening and reading through it uh, as you can see talking about it and thinking about how like I'm grateful that it doesn't all hinge on me as like a home group leader. Yeah. Uh, but there's there's like a lot of strength in my home group that covers um, a lot of what this chapter talks about and we're all yeah. kind of growing up and into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the good thing is, like, yes, we have these responsibilities, but um, we walk with other people who, should, who bear the same responsibilities. There is a deep fellowship there amongst the, uh, the, you know, the leaders that have grown into that role. Zach, Joseph, you guys have been also kind of in a, in a leadership role for a while. You guys, you got any thoughts? Lessons you've learned along the way? I mean, faithfulness in the midst of side is like feeling tapped out by having a lot of children right now and figuring out how to stay in the game. Yeah. And testing myself. I'm like, am I am I so swallowed up by the cares of the world or the cares of my choices that I'm not doing enough? In my hunger, or am I doing just what I need to do right now and everything's okay? Yeah. I, I don't know. I I would hope that someone in my group would tell me if it was the, uh, the first thing, but like it's tough for me because I you talk about the beginning where it's just like you, you worry that you're not really a Christian that you just suddenly stopped 
doing everything that you did because of the path that you chose to be a, a, a husband and a parent. And it's just oh, like, well, yeah. all those things are good, but it's just, I don't know. Well, you know, your children are, are part of your home group. Yeah, it's true. It's true. <laughs> They're sheep. <laughs> They're the sheep of your life. They're literal sheep. Yeah. They can't really repay you. Little lambs. Yeah. No, I mean, family is where you learn these things. Yeah. Laying down your life. And so I, I don't think I don't think your development as a leader has been put on hold yeah. by having children. If anything, you've been entered into an intensive course of leadership training by having children. So, no, it's not, you're not bowing out. You've you've been plunged into this process in a deeper, more profound way than you ever have. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. I mean, there's family responsibility and then there's family of God responsibility. And and yeah, we, we never want to become totally insulated in our family to where we're not as a family laying our life down for the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah, when you have infants, I mean, there's nothing they can do for the body of Christ. It's true. It's very true. Um, and I think one of the ways that you serve the body of Christ is to, to be a good example of a father and be a good example of a husband. Yeah. And and it's not you need to do more, it's just maybe you need to, to bring people into what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, but what you're doing is good. Yeah, in terms of the children thing, like, I always have my eyes on Micah, and, I'll, and I'm obviously you're his dad, so you think about him more than I do, but, you know, I'm always thinking about him as an arrow uh, in the hands of the kingdom of God and what God's going to do with him. Mm-hmm. And it seems very obvious that every year, like, he kind of is his eyes kind of open a little bit more as to what's going on in the body and, and you know, how he can help his brothers or how can he can help in situations. And so then, you know, when I think about you raising the twins, like, you know, every every single moment of time you're carving out with them is, is preparing them to be disciple makers and arrows and the kingdom of God. So I, just to comment on that, I don't, I don't see that as a loss of, at all. But just to encourage you, Jesse. Um, but to comment on the topic, um, I think that uh, what I think about is um, how over time, you know, when I, when I think when you first get involved in discipleship or ministry, like there's a lot of you in it, and there's a lot of um, really wanting to see like certain outcomes, you know, yeah. and then you see those outcomes happen in the church, like you see you see the one in whom the seed has landed and it has grown and the vines have not choked it out and the birds have not plucked the seed away and they have grown and they have, uh, uh, are bearing fruit. And then you see those that it gets snatched away and, and I think that um, over time you learn that, I think like you already said, that, um, that when you see the seed getting snatched away and you see your life uh, being poured out and you don't see anything coming out of it in certain individuals or whatever I think I think God I think God takes his opportunities to tune your heart to to break uh, 
to break for those people, but to rejoice uh, in the pouring out of your life and the work of the kingdom more so than you would rejoice over any particular outcome. Yeah. Uh, you, you, your heart gets turned, tuned to uh, what Jesus is doing yeah. in the earth and how he walked through the earth. Yeah. You know? uh, and that is a very settled place. And it's not a place of not, you know, it's, it's, it's not a place of not having a chest. It's not a place of not feeling. It's a place of, or, or not, you know, being into <laughs> one particular evangelistic moment, but it's a place of uh, having your affections tuned to the affections of the Father and to the overarching uh, epic of the, you know, advancing of the kingdom of God. Um, mm. And so I, I think, uh, and I'm still learning that. I mean, I'm still processing uh, <laughs> people that have run away or that have come back or yeah. Um, um, but I think that that's something that God's really faithful to do uh, and will do in you as, as you give yourself to the work of the ministry. That's a great word. I hope, you, I hope everybody heard that, heard the, the spirit behind it. Um, Jesus sent his disciples out and told them to go heal and cast out demons, and they came out and they came back, hey, it happened. Yeah. And he said, yeah, but where is, where's your real point of rejoicing? It's that your names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You have you have relationship with me. You know who you are in an eternal sense. And I think that settledness, that peace, that awareness is what fuels our faithfulness. Because we can't, we cannot get caught up in outcomes. There's fruit, and we know things by fruit, right? But that's different than return on investment, success rate, you know, all these kind of metrics that we might set up for ourselves. Um, when we are rejoicing that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, that will lead to fruit. And we can't get caught up with one apparent failure or, or another. We do have to constantly come back and just trust in God. Or else we risk all the people that, that are still there, you know, we risk removing ourselves and our effectiveness from, from their life as well, if that makes sense. My wife has to remind me of this a lot, because I get hyper-focused on the needs or the, the sticking points in the body. And to zoom out and go, whoa, that really is the one, you know. The 99 are awesome. <laughs> I mean, that's great. To have 99 sheep that are in great shape, that's, that's a cause for rejoicing. Now our heart goes out to the one, and we go seek the one, but we don't do it to the neglect and abandonment of the 99. That would be, that would be foolish. The whole point of going to get the one is to bring it back to the 99. Not to just go and have this one-on-one -on -one relationship with that lost sheep. So yeah, taking the 99 for granted sometimes can, can cause you to become a little jaded. Um, but again, we come back and we rejoice that God's in control. <laughs>